Hello and welcome to show 11 of All Back to Bowie's. Uh, this show is called Algeria Touch Shriek. What would a Scottish foreign policy look like? This is a really interesting show uh, hosted by Kieran Hurley. We have a fantastic provocation. I think the provocation is really challenging from the White Feather Collective. Um, and then uh, a panel debate that's fascinating because, in a sense, if we were expecting to discuss Europe or um, the United Nations, but we actually ended up really just talking about demilitarization and the extent to which Scotland could or should be um, a new uh, type of uh, military force, perhaps focused either on peacekeeping or even not existing at all. So it's really interesting and very, um, I think, challenging for the audience, uh, but new ideas in there as well. Uh, there's also just some fantastic music and poetry, as usual, this time from Gav Prentice, uh, who delivers a, a brilliant performance and an excellent po poem from Harry Giles. Um, so sit back and enjoy Algeria Touch Shriek, What Would a Scottish Foreign Policy Look Like? Hello. Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to uh, David Bowie's yurt in Manhattan on his roof of his penthouse. You can, you can hear Manhattan, see? The beautiful sounds of New York. Um, a couple of rules before we begin. One is you're not really allowed to wander into the rest of the house. David's quite private about it. So, um, yeah, we're only allowed to stay in here. But we're sorry for starting late. So the show is supposed to be only an hour. We might run over a little bit. But if you need to head out, go right ahead. It's totally fine. Um, another thing, another thing. Oh, one of the most important house rules we have here at Bowie's is that we're not allowed to ask any of our guests or anyone in the yurt whether they're voting yes or no in the referendum. You can tell us if you want, it's totally fine, but we're not gonna ask you. However, we do have our own mini referendum and it's really, really important, okay? Are you guys ready? Okay, you all have to vote, yeah? Okay. Is it pronounced Bowie or Bowie? Okay? Now, if you agree, if you agree that it's pronounced Bowie, please raise your hand. Can you, yeah. David, can you count? Because I'm bad with numbers. Thirty-seven. Can you write this down? The yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, the pen's right there. Okay. Who thinks it's Bowie? Wow, making a comeback. Yes. <laughs> Being controversial, Kieran. Yeah. Forty-three. Yes. This is the first time, Bowie. 
has been in the lead. Great. I know. Surely, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Great. So we've written that down. No, it's fine. It's written that down. Uh, another thing we do every day, all back to Bowie, this is our audience participation part, because during the panel, unfortunately, due to time constraints and so on, we're not, we don't really open it up to, for you guys to ask questions, but for you guys to, to have a say, we do, we do ask that you do this little task for us. So could you possibly get out any piece of paper, any flyer, any receipt, shopping list, the weirder the better, you know, Bowie ticket is fine, but yeah. Um, and we are going to ask you to finish this sentence. Okay? Scotland's relationship to the world is dot, dot, dot. Okay? So Scotland's relationship to the world is dot, dot, dot. And if you complete that sentence, we'll collect them all at the end and then we'll read some of them out. Also, they're all going to go into the Bowie guest book, which will be donated to the National Library of Scotland to be part of the referendum archive. So you'll be making history. So that's great. That's very exciting. Uh, so yeah, have a think about that. You know, share pens and whatnot, share paper even if you want. And uh, we'll start. Now, we're going to begin with a song from a very talented singer-songwriter from Glasgow, Gav Prentice. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with a David Bowie impression. David Bowie. That's it, that was my impression. <laughs> That'll be enough of that. This song's called Coat Bridge 1967. It has nothing to do with David Bowie. In the towns they caught no sun But the homes were warm enough When the kids were on the run From the Pope and Bible John Filling out the same old form Prove your conscience, prove your age Prove you make an honest wage And you're more than them today And by the time you've run away You've a debt you must repay And nothing left of worth to say If you don't believe in the things that you don't see Come believe in me Cause I can take up all your pain Hold it out beneath the rain Till it all gets washed away So if you don't believe in the things that you don't see Come believe in me Cause I can take up all your pain Hold it out beneath the rain Till it all gets washed away Just leave me They showed the door and hid the key So you're stealing 
things all you'd see Bouncing babies on your knee Then fight outside the chapel hall Drinking spit and home you crawl Still no work so fuck them all the Kids are crying in their sleep Huddled tight beneath the streets Save what lies underneath Mums and dads that won the war Huddle up to three bars of warmth They just could not afford So if you don't believe In the things that you don't see Come believe in me Cause I can take up all your pain Hold out beneath the rain Till it all gets washed away So if you don't believe in Something moments ago. Can you, can you help me with this? Um, I'm Sara, by the way. Nice, nice to meet you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> totally forgot to introduce myself. Um, next, we have usually every day we have a, a provocation or a polemic that kind of warms us up for the big panel discussion. And today we have uh, two members of the White Feather Collective that are an arco feminist group which. Uh, do direct actions against the glorification of war, including Armed Forces Day and the World War One centenary. Is that how you pronounce it? Centenary, sorry, I'm not from here. Um, and uh, one of their actions, one of their uh, more well-known actions is when they climbed the Finiston Crane. And um, also on August 4th, uh, they did an alternative remembrance for the victims of Gaza where they chalked their names and uh, their bodies right onto uh, Kelvin Grove Park um, on the floor. So um, they're going to be doing a provocation with a focus on defense, security, and a demilitarized future. And then they'll, they'll talk now, so I'll just leave. Uh, I'd like to welcome Poppy and Lou to the stage, please. military tradition that is centuries old, says Alex Salmon. Despite promises of kicking out Trident, an independent Scotland will continue to expand its military tradition. Currently, Scotland is not moving towards a demilitarized future. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And it's no secret. The white paper tells of increased military expenditure. We absolutely oppose this. Militarism as a concept can describe anything from the style of a nation's governance to the style of popular haircuts. 
Militarism promotes belonging based upon nationalism, the creation of multiple threats, imagined enemies, and a paranoid risk management. Militarism teaches us to be docile, to be obedient, and to be uncritical. Militarism is the normalization of the military in everyday life. In the here and now, this looks like family outings to Lucas Air Show, in which parents allow their children to coo at warplanes that rip other people's children to shreds. It looks like military recruitment in our colleges and schools. It looks like a victor's history masquerading as neutral in our education system. It's the guns, tanks and drones as ubiquitous as athletes are a major sporting event. It is the laser-guided bombs dropping on our friends in Gaza that are manufactured here on the Clyde. As the nation continues to follow the Pied Piper of militarism, the harder it will be to challenge it. Costa Rica, Haiti and Grenada all went through processes of demilitarization post-independence. Costa Rica, by the way, is number one on the world's happiness index. So who we are, we're members of the White Feather Collective. We're a network of women, queer and trans folk and our allies engaged in direct action against the culture of militarism and imperialism. We act in solidarity with those struggling for self-determination across the world. Today we're all gathered today to talk about foreign policy, which is generally understood as the strategies employed by a state to safeguard its national interests through international relations. This is uneasy ground for an anarcho-feminist collective. <laughs> we seek to understand ourselves and others as human beings first and foremost, beyond the walls and borders of the nation state. Nevertheless, with an independent Scotland on the horizon, what lies before each and every one of us is a massive opportunity to remake the conditions and parameters of our relationship, not only to each other, but to the rest of the world. We offer these thoughts in the spirit of compromise and small steps towards a better world. Our contribution will be focused on defence, security and a demilitarised future. We suggest to you today that the biggest threat to Scotland at this time is the existence of nuclear weapons on our shores. It's environmental disaster through nuclear or oil spillage. It's food insecurity and chronic poor health. In reality, what makes communities secure are basic necessities such as food, shelter, heat, healthcare, education and freedom. We believe that people require agency, control and a critical analytical faculty over their own defence and security. These are some practical steps we are offering towards uh, Scotland's demilitarised future. Number one, pull out of NATO. Number two, consider carefully membership of the EU particularly the implications of the common foreign and security policy. Number three, adopt a national foreign policy of non-alignment. That means country neut neutrality particular to Scotland. Number four, look towards joining the non-aligned bloc at the United Nations. Number five, if we must think about defence, defence reformed levy en masse rather than professionalised military. That means communities would be educated and empowered with the necessary skills and judgment to defend themselves and decide whether to rise up together in a situation of quantifiable risk. Number six, boycott Israel. Number seven, rethink international development and international peacekeeping. Instead, focus on the cancellation of majority world debt and reparations. Number eight, Focus on national defence on realistic threats, 
such as environmental disaster, food insecurity, and the chronic ill health that we have here in Scotland. Number nine, change military infrastructure to meet these real threats. Develop emergency response systems, air sea rescue, mountain rescue, coast guard, invest in oil and nuclear cleanup technology, develop local food economy, education in permaculture, target the structural causes of chronic ill health. Number 10, educate the population on international relations, non-Western history, revolutionary uprisings, and the concept of structural violence. Number 11, work towards the abolition of all forms of structural violence while fostering communities of care. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so now, actually, Lou and Poppy, if you could stay on stage, uh, since we're going to start our panel discussion on uh, foreign policy in Scotland, uh, the person who's going to be chairing this discussion is playwright Kieran Hurley, who's looking for chairs right now. Um, I'd also like to welcome to the stage Ian McWhorter, who is a political commentator as part of the Sunday uh, uh, political commentator of the Sunday Herald, and he's also part of the team um, doing referendum TV here at the Fringe. Um, uh, David, could you move the stand, please? Uh, I'd also like to welcome uh, Jean Urquhart, uh, who is a longtime anti-nuclear weapons activist and the original MSP for the Highlands and Islands. And she left the SNP when they reversed their policy on NATO. All right. Um, should I leave it to you? Yeah, you're done? Yeah. Hi, hello, hello. Um, so we, were, we also, it's worth saying, um, Thank you to all of our panelists for, for being able to be here. Really exciting to have you all here in Bowie's guest yurt, um, Bowie's guest yurt. Um, some of you might have noticed on the publicity, we were also going to have uh, Jonathan Shaffey from the Radical Independence Campaign, who, to, due to unforeseen circumstances, had to uh, pull out and not be with us this morning. So if anyone is here particularly because they are a Jonathan Shaffey fan, I'm afraid you're going to be as disappointed as the people who are here particularly because you're David Bowie fans. So it's going to be... Um, not actually that much to do with him here. He's not here, so he sends his apologies. But um, yeah, I think the thing to do there, White Feather uh, Collective have had the floor and said, said some stuff. I think I'd like to open it up to our other panelists to, to respond with any thoughts in relation to their vision for a demilitarized uh, future, if you, if you have it. Well, uh, um, uh, microphone, I might as well speak first. And it's, uh, the, I'm voting yes because, um, precisely because I think uh, Scotland would be in a position uh, to be a non-military uh, member of the international community, which would have a small uh, military footprint, but have, have carry significant moral weight in the world. First of all, because it would be a, one of the handful of countries which has consciously renounced nuclear weapons. Um, and the one thing I'm very confident about there are many uncertainties about what would happen after independence. The only thing I'm confident about is that an independent Scotland would not have nuclear weapons, at least uh, not after about 2020. Now, the White Feather Collective has rightly said that uh, the SNP has now agreed to be part of NATO, which is a nuclear alliance, but there, it is possible for uh, countries in NATO to 
to be non-nuclear, there are a number of them, but also it's important to remember that this is not the property of the Scottish National Party. Uh, an independent Scotland would elect its own government, which would decide its own foreign policy, its own international policy, and I'm confident Scotland would renounce not only nuclear weapons, but also the arms trade, which has been one of the United Kingdom's big export areas over the last 40 years, and I think has corrupted the UK political establishment as a result. Uh, thank you very much, and thanks for the invitation to be here today. I'm really pleased about that. Um, I, too, can identify with a great deal of, of, of what's been said by the uh, White Collective, and I, I do think that this is a huge opportunity for educating all of us. I mean, one of the, one of the fantastic things that's happened, because there's a referendum, regardless of, how, of the outcome, and of course I hope that it's going to be a positive one, is that people are genuinely having to discover and learn about all kinds of subjects, including defence. And it's amazing. Uh, you know, having been a fairly active political person through the SNP in the last 20 years, very rarely do um, matters of defence come up on the doorstep when you're, when you're talking to folk. And I know that's a kind of old cliché about MSMPs or uh, politicians going around knocking on doors. But, you know, Trident just is not something that, that, that people discuss or want to talk to you about. However, because of this, because of uh, real interest in uh, the question, how will Scotland defend itself, and what the hell is Trident anyway, um, I think it's almost like a kind of philosophical inquiry, so that I say something and people come back at that, um, and we actually start to realise exactly what the defence of this country is. And while today's topic is foreign policy, I think inevitably it's aligned to defence policy. And I think there's a third uh, aspect of that, and that is offence policy. Because although it's never declared, we've clearly had one. Um, and Trident, when you kind of find out exactly how that all works, I mean, the reality is that we take Trident out every day, 365 days of the year, it goes on a trip um, up the West Coast, which is arguably, some will argue that, you know, it denies other activity. It certainly has de uh, decided the height of the bridges and so on uh, in order to allow submarines and other, other uh, craft to go through. So I think it's, it's also about learning what it has stopped in Scotland. And there's a lovely analogy about Trident and missiles, which I heard recently, which is the, the um, guy with a hardware store, and he, he a man comes in to buy an axe, and there's a whole range of axes, different sizes, and there's one massive axe that's really expensive and really big. And he said, who ever buys that axe? And he said, only fools. A, he said, it's so heavy that they're not able to lift it, but they think it's going to do a great job. And he said, but it's too big to work or be useful. And that's exactly what we have. And the technology, there's, a, there's a, an argument about, you know, you can't put technology back. We've discovered the atom and all of that. Nobody's going to undo these scientific discoveries. But the reality is that we've moved on. I mean, there are even more and horrendous, you know, 
uh, weapons of destruction that are being that are being discovered and Trident really is obsolete should be obsolete must be obsolete and we must never ever think that to upgrade Trident is a smart thing for our defense Do you want to jump in off the back of that? Yeah, great. I will do, thanks. Um, I agree with both of you. I agree that the arms trade is an important place of departure. I agree that Trident is an important place of departure. But as a radical political collective, we have to understand, and I would argue to you today, that an independent Scotland and getting rid of Trident is only the beginning. We've been part of an aggressive imperial power for hundreds of years. And we have been involved in a project of imperialism and colonization all over the globe. Scotland has played a key part in the empire. Glasgow is the second city of empire. Our roots in the Caribbean run deep. And our debt and to many countries all over the, the world runs deep. So getting rid of Trident and beginning to look at, uh, at the fact that our economy is a military industrial complex, that the bombs falling on Gaza today are built on the Clyde, this is the beginning. We have to seriously take hold of this. We have to seriously take hold of what it means for military recruiters to go into our schools to recruit, recruit um, you know, economically deprived individuals into our army. We have to seriously take on board what it means to allow our children to look at jets and planes and bombs and tanks and guns and say to them, oh, isn't that great? You know, Lucas Air Show is just down the road from my house. And it breaks my heart to see those children look at those planes because I lived in Gaza and I saw people whose children had been ripped apart by those jets and bombs and guns. And so whilst I applaud both of your points, I think that's just the beginning and we have to seriously step up and we have to get hardcore about the military industrial complex and about a culture of militarism which is in the here and now. Um, I'm going to... Uh just sort of play the role of, I don't know, like Daily Mail reporter in response to <laughs> something like, I, like clearly I think from conversations on the ground and everything, like clear, clearly there seems to be, it, like when it does come up, you say that people aren't, don't, on door to door don't think about uh, Trident or, or defence that much, it, it seems to me that there is a will, there is on some level a tangible will to, 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 to not have nuclear weapons on the Clyde in Scotland. I mean there, there's also people that would argue for their existence I'm sure. I've got a question really about um, the will, as we see it just now, for the kind of demilitarised future that's been described uh, by the panel today in various forms. And what are like, if that's something that the panel sees as desirable, like what do we see as being some of the actually like practical um, political obstacles to its formation? If you see what I mean. Well, I mean the um, I mean, the opinion polls are. Uh, ambiguous, but there's, it's pretty clear, and a vast majority of opinion polls indicate that Scotland does not uh, favour nuclear weapons, does not want nuclear weapons on the Clyde, uh, essentially because these are weapons of mass destruction, which are in, illegal under international law anyway. Scotland has had these uh, weapons uh, foisted upon it for over 60 years. Um, if the, the rest of the United Kingdom wants to retain uh, an independent nuclear deterrent that we can't uh, stop that. Um, there appears to be support for a nuclear defense south of the border and perhaps that's their business. They'll have to perhaps take nuclear weapons and put them in the Thames. Uh, I would suggest they should put it near the Houses of Parliament because look, if these are such a great protection, surely we want protection really at the heart of British democracy and that is obviously 
under the Houses of Parliament. So I think that's an obvious place for them to go. Um, yeah, Scotland doesn't want them anymore. And uh, they've made that very clear, as I say repeatedly, in the way that Scots, Scots vote. Um, as uh, Alex Salmon always says, there's, uh, there are more giant pandas in Scotland than there are Tory MPs, and that's for a reason. Um, Scots do not subscribe to these echoes of uh, UK, uh, old great British imperialism. And we are not uh, as dug in to the military industrial complex, I think is being suggested. Uh, Scotland, um, after independence, would still have a certain amount of, uh, you know, naval weapons being produced uh, on the Clyde or naval vessels. But if you look at independent countries like Norway, they've been able to readapt and rejig and retool their uh, industries so they produce peaceful uh, uh, vessels rather than uh, uh, mili militaristic ones, rather than Type 26 destroyers. But I, I mean, I would say that um, I'm not a pacifist. Uh, I don't believe that, for example, the people in Gaza should have to accept the kind of, uh, uh, you know, what is being inflicted upon them at the moment. People have a right to defend themselves. I think Scotland, as an independent country with a very small military footprint, as I say, could nevertheless exert uh, some influence. Uh, in a way that the United Kingdom cannot, mainly because Scotland was part of this uh, great British Empire. And uh, you're absolutely right, Scotland um, was involved uh, in the colonial wars. Scots fought the colonial wars. The, the thin red line, if you remember, uh, was actually the, uh, where Scottish regiments, Scots uh, ran the colonial administrations and they did run some of the slave plantations. But that is in the past. And I don't think we should beat ourselves up about that because it's absolutely clear where Scotland stands morally today. You can just look at it in our voting records over the last 30 years. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I think, uh, you know, if there's any hope for establishing an enclave of a demilitarized... Uh, I, I, my own personal view is that uh, Scotland will lead the rest of the UK out of its uh, uh, nuclear dead end because there are many in the UK military establishment who would love to see the back of this anachronistic weapon which is pointed at Russia. We're not going to go to war with them. As I say, it's illegal under international law. The money would be better spent on conventional forces which could perhaps do some good in certain areas of the world. I do think that we uh, need to recognize our, our history. Um, Absolutely. Scotland, I mean, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with Scotland, really, and we have a lot of boils to lands. But, you know, I, I don't honestly believe that we'll ever do that unless we have self-determination, because that means that we have to absolutely uh, think and know about who we are and where we want to be. And um, it would be ridiculous, really, for a, for a country the size of Scotland uh, to... Uh, I think, to somehow consider that it's going to have some kind of military might, thank God. I mean, that's one of the reasons I think that a lot of people want to see Scotland as an independent country. But And, and maybe we should be really pleased that the Darien scheme didn't work. Um, we never got our own empire. Um, although we played a hugely active role in creating the British Empire. But we should know these things. I think we, again, are lacking in our history often to know that. Fortunately, we're beginning to learn just how active we were in the slave trade. Um, 
and the kind of the buildings all across. And the, in the Highlands, I have to tell you, people were quite kind of um, calm about that, believing that it was something that, that Glasgow really benefited from. But slowly, the buildings that are in the Highlands are beginning uh, to rise, and there's a movement to put a label on each of them, a plaque on the door saying that this building was built as a, uh, on the proceeds of slavery. So we've got boils to lance, I think, and history to learn. Um, but this is all about the future. It is all about the future. And I would love to see an independent Scotland known to be uh, not only a, an independent nation state, but one where uh, we have humanitarian aid at our heart. That actually we do care enough to uh, be active in giving aid to people who are oppressed. And that seems to me uh, something that we, we can do, we can do well. I think it fits with um, the kind of psyche of Scotland, if you like. And, and also we, we are in a position where we are fortunate to have the kind of uh, shipbuilding and so on that, that in our country and the expertise that, that we can use that industry Things don't have to be, I mean, one of the most frustrating things, I think, to listen to is people say, but what about the jobs? Well, do you know, if, if that's what we're reduced to, um, then I think it's, it's really sad. And I suspect that that's what is maintaining uh, the, the British economy to a large extent, because these things come with use-by dates. I mean, the, the, the landmines that we, that we were famous for making, we made more landmines than any other country, had, had use-by dates on them. So if they weren't used, then we then paid people to dismantle them. And that's, it, it's the kind of the worst side of capita capitalism. If it was just about jobs, we'd still be making dreadnoughts. I mean, it's a ridiculous argument, that. And, uh, you know, we should not be uh, put in that kind of uh, position. Sorry. No, 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 no please. Um, um, I'll just try and lance a few more boils, shall I? Um, so, the, yeah, uh, I agree with the points that you've raised about um, confronting our history and looking at our relationship to slavery, but I disagree with the idea that we should leave it behind because a group called CARICOM, which is a coalition of Caribbean nations, has recently uh, started a process to look towards reparations from the colonial powers of which we are one. Um, and they have come up with a list of requests um, for reparations. And this is a group of, of Caribbean nations and they're taking their case uh, to international courts and they're using Lee Day, which is a British, uh, British solicitors. Um, and they're asking for real tangible reparations in the here and now. So we're not leaving it behind. We have to engage with this. And vis-a-vis -vis the type of uh, foreign policy or international engagement that we want to take on, as an independent Scotland. The British government has pretty much said, forget it, reparations, psh, nothing to do with us, just leave it alone. The Swedish government has said, all right, let's hear you. Now, obviously the British government would have a lot more reparations to pay, so it's easier for the Swedes to say, okay, we'll hear what you've got to say, Caribbean nations. But Scotland really has to take this on. That's what I believe. We have to adopt the same line as the Swedes to say, let's hear you out. And we're not talking, in, and, and Hilary Beckles, uh, who's an academic in the Caribbean, who's, who's drawn up these guidelines, has made it clear that these are not necessarily fiscal. You know, it's not necessarily such and such amount of money, but it's, it's economic, social, 
cultural reparations for the damage, psychic reparations for the damage done to Caribbean nations. And, and this is an appropriate thing for us to take on in an independent country. And so I don't think we should leave it behind. I think we need to take it on, but we need to take it on in a much more profound way than we have been doing, rather than just putting up plaques and so on and so forth. We have to commit to a relationship and progressively look to reparations. Um, the second point I'm sort of touching on, Boyle, Lance, whatever, um, is the point about a small defence force and um, our role in the world vis-à-vis -vis international peacekeeping. Um, that's something that in the White Feather Collective statement we said we should potentially uh, leave behind and instead look to reparations and to cancelling third world debt instead. Um, and I think that's because having a small defence force and taking part in international peacekeeping is, is quite a dangerous concept and I disagree with it entirely. Um, I think that the way that international peacekeeping has evolved um, it has deep imbrication with imperial conquest that is ongoing in here and now. If you look at Afghanistan, if you look at Iraq, you know, international peacekeeping, the soldiers turn up, keep the peace on the ground, and what comes next? Structural adjustment, economic liberalization. These things are bound up in one another. That's the way these things work. Do you think the Palestinians should be allowed to defend themselves? Yes, I do. I believe that the Palestinians have a right to resist, and I'm not a pacifist. Um, I believe in the people's right to resist, and that's why we touched on the levy on mass instead of the professionalized military. Do I believe that nation states should have the right to have a private army and should have the right to defend us? No, I don't. I believe it's uh, it's up to the people. One of the things that we're talking about here, then, seemingly, is not as a foreign policy, not just based um, on, uh, uh, on 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 the future, the future of Scotland and what that might look like, but a foreign policy almost driven um, uh, and underpinned by a kind of post-colonial um, reparations. I'd be interested to hear the, the panel, the rest of the panel, sort of talk uh, about on reparations. Um, I don't subscribe to the view that the, that we should be uh, negotiating reparations. I mean, if you look at Scotland in the first half of the uh, 19th century, uh, the industrial working class here were as exploited as uh, uh, slaves were in the uh, plantations of Virginia. Uh, they were wage slaves. They worked uh, 14 hours a day in cotton mills, many of them from the age of 10. David Livingston, for example, he worked from the age of 10 in a cotton mill in Blantyre. Many of them died. And what happened was there was no responsibility taken for their welfare after they left their place of work. They were wage slaves. Um, now, if we start talking about reparations, we start talking about reparations for people closer to home than in, the, uh, in America as well. And that is why I think it's very difficult to go down that route. I think we do have to look to the opportunities that are presented by this great constitutional uh, choice that we have before us, the opportunity to create um, a country which would have great moral influence precisely because it was a part of the British Empire, is no longer a part of the British Empire, has repudiated its values, uh, and is now uh, defending um, the rights of all small nations to self-determination and would support uh, people of the world and would not be involved, as I said before, I'd hate to repeat myself, but it would not be involved in the uh, military-industrial complex which has corrupted uh, the United Kingdom. I, I was in Westminster in the late 1980s. I was a journalist there. At the time, uh, we were actually selling uh, weapons of mass destruction to Saddam Hussein. 
we sold him the parts uh, for making uh, what was going to be the, the biggest gun in history. It was called the Iraqi super gun. Extraordinary story, which I hope to write about at some stage in the future, because people have forgotten about this. We uh, made the material, the uh, pieces for this, this gun, the, the barrel for this gun, which was designed to fire nuclear uh, weapons uh, 600 miles, so that uh, Saddam Hussein would be able to reach Israel. Uh, we did that uh, under successive governments. It was not just the Conservatives, but Labour who subscribed to this as well. Um, the UK was run basically, it was financed by two things. It was financed by Scotland's oil and by arms sales across the world. And it's the most appalling history, which I hope eventually we will be able to expose uh, and Scotland will be able to uh, draw a line under historically. We have an opportunity to do that. I think we lead the rest of the United Kingdom out of this dead end. Are you happy with that, Jean? Are you coming in? Well, is that okay? Not to say very much, but just just maybe to say one thing that I think we have to, and see that the ensure that whoever's in power in in Edinburgh um, has to recognise that our policy should be acknowledging always that the absence of war is not peace, because you know actually what we how we behave in this country I think will be huge and. I, and I'm interested in the reparation thing. I, I, I'm perhaps not agreeing <clears throat> with Ian on that, that um, it may be that, you know, we, we don't have millions, or I don't know whether this is a, a kind of, you know, financial challenge to, to any of that, that we, we probably can't meet up. But, but I, I, I think saying you're sorry is, is for what's happened in the past isn't a bad idea. I don't, I don't see have any issue with that. Um, but I do think there's a much bigger and much more exciting and really important policy to be is how are we going to live peaceably? And again, I would agree that that, that starts here. That starts in this country. We, ha we have other boils to lands too of sectarianism and racism and so on. We cannot go on saying that, you know, that we're terrific, welcoming a hospitality folk. Um, at the same time, as you know, we ha we have headlines showing that that's simply not true. We have fantastic examples where we do behave well, and a moment in Nick Higgins' film comes to mind where the the woman in Sight Hill in Glasgow is standing on a soapbox saying, "Nobody's taking them. They're earth cards. They're no gone nowhere." Um, and it, it does bring a tear to your eye. It's fantastic, and I I think we all want to feel like that. We all want. To to, to, to think of Scotland like that, but let's see a policy that makes us live like that here and encourages us, encourages that kind of education, um, that if we can be peaceable, then we, we really can be an influence, a much, much bigger influence than we'll ever be with Trident. I, 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 you, it very, has very to be quick super point. quick. Yeah, just a really quick yeah. point. I think that the uh, conflation of... Um, slavery in, 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 in Scotland as compared to racialized chattel slavery from Africa to the Americas which resulted in the genocide of the Arawak population which resulted in the genocide on a mass scale on the continents of the Americas and in Africa is wrong.
Well, I disagree. I mean, I think that what was inflicted on the industrial working class in Scotland in the first half of the 20th century, indeed, uh, 19th century, indeed, throughout the 19th century, was equivalent to that. Also, you have to remember, as, as you try to, if you try to look at who is responsible for that, um, you know, the African nations were also involved in the slave trade. That's how they were, that's how they were gathered together, and that's how they were uh, ex exported, because there was active cooperation by African nations in that as well. That doesn't justify the slave trade, far from it. But it is important when you start to think in terms of uh, reparations, you have to remember that the industrial working class in, in the United Kingdom was in just as bad a situation uh, as um, people were in, uh, in, Af in, in the slave plantations in America. Okay, why, why, why are you I'm going to come in here and say, if this was the, if there ever was an opportunity to make this last for hours by opening it out to the audience for everyone to come back, then now would clearly be it because it's obviously a really, really contentious point we've hit upon and that's super exciting. Unfortunately, we are already running over in the panel, so I'm just going to leave it at that really, really uh, interesting uh, ellipsis at the end of the conversation there. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a, a useful opportunity for me to encourage you all to stick around and like keep the conversation going with us afterwards. We'll be we'll be in, in this in this bar area here. Obviously this could go on for a long time. I've got questions that I came nowhere close to being able to ask. Um, uh, so nothing remains really other than for me to say thank you to our to our, to our panelists, to Gene Urquhart, to Ian McClutter, and to Lee and Poppy from the White Feather Collective. Thank you very much for joining us. I will now, uh, if you guys would like to take your seats again in the, in, in the audience, and I will uh, soon be handing over back to my able co-host, uh, Sarah. Uh, it's worth also saying as well, Sarah, are we going to do some plugs for people? Like, uh, um, I asked referendum everyone... Referendum TV. We referendum have... TV on at the Fringe. What, what, time, what time is it on, Ian? One o'clock at the Hill Street Theatre every day for those that didn't get that referendum TV is, yeah. is the, the plug for you. I'm going to get off the stage and get your way. See you later. It's all right. Well, that was exciting. Uh, as Kieran said, we can continue the conversation at the bar. Uh, before I introduce our next guest, which is um, the poet, the poet, um, I would like to remind you all of the little task I asked you to do, which was... Complete the sentence, Scotland's relationship with the world is dot, dot, dot. And we'll collect them all in a bit. Now, our next guest is, uh, every day at Bowie's we have a poet that kind of shares some uh, thoughts and poems and things. And today we have the performer, poet, writer, person, Harry Giles, everyone. I'm really, really happy with introductions that just describe me as a person. That's really nice. It's much nicer than being a poet, rather than being a person. Um, so I was on the panel last week, which was lovely, and it's really nice to be back at, at back Bowie's. Um, but uh, uh, it's nice to be this time doing poems, because then uh, I, don't, I don't have to make any like coherent arguments at you. Which is a good thing. So I'm not going to continue the hustings. Um, uh, 
Thank you all for battling the winds to being here. It's, it's really good to have all of these people in such a warm um, audience for this ongoing discussion. Now, um, I got in a little bit of trouble a couple of months ago uh, with a, a very well-funded uh, corporate uh, no-voting campaign called, bizarrely, uh, Vote No Borders. Um, and I said some very intemperate things on Twitter... And then those intemperate things got quoted in the Daily Mail, and so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. And the reason I got really, really angry uh, with Vote No Borders is because they stole um, a slogan uh, that I've chanted on a vast number of demonstrations. No Borders, for me, is a slogan about internationalism and solidarity um, and, and opening, opening your home, opening your place to the people who want to be there. Um, and with that in mind, this is uh, instructions for behaviour at border control. Instructions for behaviour at border control. Wear a red dress. Paint your eyebrows green. Ensure your gait mimics the gait of a lion who's fallen awkwardly from the sofa and is pretending he hasn't. Hop sideways and shifty across the line that says, please stand here. Throat lustily, now you see me, now you don't. Quiz with conviction, I studied witchcraft, then laugh. Because with your green eyebrows, they can't but know you were telling a truth. Fall to one knee with a ring made of luminous plastic and zebra skin. Ask the loneliest guard to marry you. Stroke her gun. While stamping out hours of queue, gamely ignoring the teeth of glossy instructional vids, invent a magnificent teleportation device. And with its tachyon trails, write theories of history to gut the future. Return, steaming, and sing of this to the queue and the guards and the screen and the signs till the thrice-damned terminal implodes from the singular weight of its own internal contradictions. And breathe again, and spell again the teleportation device, the manifesto, the implosion. Make a lever of your time. Handle yourself with care. Thank you. Thank you. Um, little bit, little bit. All right, little bit, little bit, little bit. Um, so, so being a, a poet in uh, with um, with a habit of talking about politics, living in Scotland right now. Um, I, keep, I keep getting asked to sort of do poems about the referendum, and I got a little bit tired. I kind of ran out of things that I could say. Um, so I started uh, with a little bit of humility and a little bit of chutzpah, uh, turning, to, uh, turning to a manual for life that I often turn to when things are confusing, um, which is not just a manual for living, but also a manual for for politics, uh, for, for doing the nation, doing the state. Um, and for me, it's, it's the oldest manual of advice about how to be in a country in the world. Um, and that's the Tao Te Ching. Um, and I started looking at that and kind of reading things about um, this moment that Scotland's in to it. And then I started um, rewriting it. 
um, and taking uh, totally unfair liberties with it um, in, in Scots because I found the advice that it was giving me about Scotland and its place in the world right now um, surprisingly useful. So I'm going to do a little bit of that and I'm going to do it in Scots um, and also in English after the Scots uh, to be friendly to you. I don't usually do that. Usually I'd make you look it up afterwards because if you put Scots against English it usually loses but, but today, today you get both. Um, so I'll just do a couple of these. Etlin to our the world, nae chance. The world's a cogo spirit and canna be out. What hours fails, what hards tense, some laid, some folly, some greet, some lilt, some rapple, some crine, some thurl, some brack. Sign the alder, the horn, fiery waste and one thrift. Trying to control the world, no chance. The world is a jar of spirit and can't be controlled. Who controls, fails. Who holds, loses. Some lead, some follow. Some cry, some sing, some grow, some shrink. Some own, some break. And so the sage gets rid of waste and extravagance. The mayor the lads, the poorer the folk, the sneller the blads, the mayor the strow, the slayer the slates, the war the work, the mayor the ring, the mayor the crime, sign dinny day, and folk transform themselves, mark still, and folk govern themselves, grow tim, and folk grow footh, Want no, and folk grow hamult. The more the laws, the poorer the people. The sharper the blades, the more the struggle. The cannier the strategies, the worse the work. The more the rain, the more the crime. So don't do, and people transform themselves. Make still and people govern themselves. Grow empty and people grow full. Don't want and people grow simple. And then the last one. Actually, how much time have I got? Tiny, tiny bit. All right, I'm gonna miss, I'm, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna finish these off and refine them and then put them online at, at some point before we all go to vote because um, there's more of them. This is uh, which one? Yeah, this is the last one. Pity country, carna folk, hape or gibbles never harden, folk mind on death and in a fair far. They've whirls and yoles that need the hurls, guns and graith that need the wags, they couldn't wear rays and rape, henny leaven, bonny clays, loud hames, lily dances, neighbour countries bide at close. You'll hear their beasts, but burns grow old and dee, nay needn't a come and gang. Small country, few people, loads of devices we don't use. People remember death and don't travel far. They've boats and cars that nobody drives, guns and armour that nobody wields, they count with knotted rope, honey living, 
pretty clothes, peaceful homes, sweet dances. Neighbouring countries are so near you'll hear their beasts. But kids grow old and die without needing to come and go. Thanks very much. Thank you. That was Harry Giles, everyone. Okay, next. Uh, sometimes I've always, what happens is uh, we get a letter from, from another place. And uh, we've had letters from East Timor, Cairo, Australia, Barrack upon Tweet. Um, and uh, this morning we had a bit of computer drama, so we're not entirely sure whether we'll be able to show you the letter from Canada. It depends on Kieran's computer. But what we're going to do right now is uh, I'm going to introduce David Gregg while I try to fix the computer. Hey, thanks very much. So I thought whilst we're seeing if we can get a letter from Canada, <clears throat> I'd remind you all, have you done your sentence, Scotland's relation, uh, uh, Scotland's, what was this? Scotland's relationship with the world is. Gary. Grand. Um, has somebody got a bibbity-bobbity hat? Um, ah, here we go. This is the one. This is the bibbity-bobbity hat. This is the, the David Bowie's uh, hat. Uh, which he's kindly allowed us to use. And what we're going to do is we're going to go along and collect your sentences up in the hat. So this is your moment to start finishing them up if you haven't already done so. Um, and I will, come, I will come amongst you and we'll collect them up. So how far I'll be able to wander, but... All right, it's working. So that's very exciting. Let me reveal... Our screens, yeah, yeah. We're not so, yeah, yeah, of course. We're not so lo-fi here. We've got screens. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, wait, wait. One moment. It's working here. We've got, okay, are we ready? All right, go. John, do we have sound? We don't have sound. Do you have sound? <clears throat> All right. Yeah, anyone else got a um, little piece of paper they want to put into the hat? Yeah? All right. So while, um, it, I guess it's not going to work. Sorry, guys. Yes? Yeah. We've got no sound. Sorry. Um, yeah, we're not technically ready for this. All right. Should we just do the read, Kieran? Do you, do you want to come? If Kieran, you come, you? I'll, I'll pass them out to you guys and you can. So on behalf of uh, these two lovely Canadian people who were uh, going to tell you some things about their feelings about Scotland in this moment. They're really funny. Apologize. <laughs> uh, but these are your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, you do one and I'll do one. Sure. 
Scotland's relationship with the world is inextricably linked because of the empire on which, thank goodness, the sun has set. Scotland's relationship to the rest of the world is inclusive and inventive. Scotland's relationship with the world is modern and savage and riotously pretty. Scotland's relationship to the rest of the world is emerging. This one is written on a Loomis packet. <laughs> it's arty. These, these yes types and their guardian reading dietary habits. Um, Ancient. Scotland's relationship to the world is artsy, hardy, humorous, England. Legendary. Ancient, unlimited. Scotland's relationship to the world is warm, honest, funny, midgy, wet. Scotland's relationship to the rest of the world is wonderful. Scotland's relationship to the rest of the world is renowned. Scots are everywhere making a difference. Scotland's relationship to the world is gloriously thistly? Scotland's relationship to the rest of the world is not what we like to think. Scotland's relationship to the world is not something I have given much thought to, to be honest. <laughs> Scotland's relationship with the rest of the world is currently a source of corruption, sadness and embarrassment, but if we can take responsibility for ourselves, we absolutely have the potential to form a positive place for ourselves. Scotland's relationship to the world is... Ladies, why not also mention the bombs dropping on Israel? What a privilege... New Neutrality is why not boycott Hamas, the terrorist group that's using its children as human shields? Oh, I'm going to break from form and say that's because we don't have any open trade relationships with Hamas whatsoever. But um, uh, <laughs> Scotland's relationship with the rest of the world is undetermined. Is unique. Scotland's relationship with the rest of the world is fairly healthy. Scotland's a good listener, still has a few skeletons in the closet, but Scotland has started opening the door. Beware nationalism, this NZ-er loves you. Scotland's relationship with the world is dendritic. Right, let's do three more, David. Scotland's relationship with the rest of the world is complicated and should be handled with care. Scotland's relationship to the world is hanging in the balance. Scotland's relationship to the rest of the world is hospitable and inclusive. So what's to get through there and what's to think about? There's your thoughts, they're all going to the National Library of Scotland referendum archive and will be viewable by your children and your children's children forever. Forever. Thank you. All right, well, you, that was your thoughts. Who's up next, sir? We have our uh, final uh, act of the day, which we ask our singer to come back and close the show for us. So before I introduce Gav Prentice again, uh, be sure to buy his album on gavprentice.co.uk, right? Okay, and now, yeah, welcome, Gav. Hello. Hello again. Hiya. I'm going to stand and do this one. Contain yourselves. Uh, yeah, so I contributed a song to the National Collective book called Inspired by Independence. And uh, I think the, there was like a... 
do you respond to the statement uh, independence is an, is not an end in itself but a means to a better world kind of thing uh, so I basically wrote a song in which I try and denounce nationalism while still being a yes supporting person uh, which I'm sure yeah. also I don't play it very often so this might be a wee bit ropey but we're all in it together right Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah, I'm to everyone. Hey, hello. Okay. 
uh, yeah, so that's our show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please come have a drink with us at the bar. We'll be at the brown bar, not the apparel orange thing. Uh, and yeah, have a nice day. Enjoy the fringe. Bye, everyone. Here are the sentences from show 11. The sentence was, Scotland's relationship to the world is. Scotland's relationship to the world is inextricably linked because of the empire on which, thank goodness, the sun has set. Scotland's relationship to the world is hunky-dory. Scotland's relationship to the world is unknown, to be honest. Scotland's relationship to the world is as yet undefined. Scotland's relationship to the world is irrelevant. Scotland's relations to the world is through England, for now at least. Scotland's relationship to the world is gloriously thistly. Scotland's relationship to the world is currently a souffle of corruption, sadness and embarrassment. But if we can take responsibility for ourselves, we absolutely have the potential to forge a positive place. Scotland's relationship to the world is modern and savage and riotously pretty. Scotland's relationship to the world is warm, honest, funny, midgy and wet. Scotland's relationship to the world is wonderful. Scotland's relationship to the world is dendritic. Scotland's relationship to the world is not something I have given much thought to. I'm from Yorkshire and I think the UK in the international sense. Scotland's relationship to the world is hanging in the balance. Scotland's relationship to the world is not what we like to think. Scotland's relationship to the world is complicated and should be handled with care. Scotland's relationship to the world is unique. Scotland's relationship with the world is fairly healthy. Scotland's a good listener, still a few skeletons in the closet, but Scotland has started opening the door. Beware nationalism. This nz loves you. Scotland's relationship to the world is hospitable and inclusive. Scotland's relationship to the world is unique. Scotland's relationship to the world is inclusive and inventive. Scotland's relationship to the world is renowned. Scots are everywhere, making a difference. Scotland's relationship to the world is undetermined. Scotland's relationship to the world is good and getting better. Scotland's relationship to the world is a perpetrator and a victim. We live well on the cost of workers producing for us too cheaply under miserable conditions. And so too do workers here work for companies exploiting them. We must stop producing and being victims. We need a foreign policy based on fair trade and equality for all. Scotland's relationship to the world is Scottish. Scotland's relationship to the world is emerging. Scotland's relationship to the world was one significance and not always positive. In future, let's lead the way in unilateral disarmament and debt cancellation. Scotland's relationship as the, to the world as the most just, big-hearted advocators of pride, albeit peppered with paranoia that someone might mistake them for anyone else. Scotland's relationship with the world is strong and proud. Scotland's relationship with the world is ladies. Why not mention the bombs dropping on Israelis? What a privileged neutrality is. Why not boycott Hamas, the terrorist group that's using its children as human shields? Scotland's relationship with the world is humorous. England, hardy, unlimited potential, legendary stories, artsy.